Welcome to episode 67 of Drew's Sports Crew. Here on this Monday morning, myself, Drew Skyberg here, and I'll be joined later in the episode by Scott of Fantasia Sports. And yeah, I mean, we'll be talking about the NBA Finals in that second half of the episode. But first, we got to be doing our weekly segments here on this Monday morning, June 20th, 2022. And you know how we start. We got to do our shout out of the week. This is an easy one for myself, Drew Skyberg, to choose. And I'm going with, you guessed it, Craig Council with his 564th career victory as manager of the Milwaukee Brewers. He sets the franchise record for wins by a manager with 564. And he did that Wednesday night, and that was after that 10-2 win over the New York Mets. And this might surprise you. Craig Council is the longest tenured manager in the National League. I might be using that for trivia, so if you're listening, you have an advantage here. And he passed Phil Gardner, who he managed the team for 1,180 games, and that was between 92 and 99. He managed those 90 Brewers. and Yeah, I mean, if you have, have you heard what the celebration was? Because it was Craig Council. He got showered by beer by his players, and that was... That was with the post-game interview. He was still soaked is what they said. And, yeah, he got a nice gift from Mark Ignacio also. And then he got video messages from some of the greatest. Coach K, Mike Budenholzer, and Steve Kerr. So, I mean, those are some great guys to get it. And Council's 564 and 508 since taking over the Brewers May 4th, 2015. So, just wanted to include that there. He's been a great I mean, he's changed this franchise for the better. I mean, they have had the most consecutive appearances they've had in their postseason, or their franchise history for the postseason. And they've just done things that you have not seen from this Brewers squad since they became a thing in Milwaukee in in 1970. So congrats to Craig Council and his Brewers who are starting to win some games now, thankfully. And now let's go on to the stats of the week. Look, I mean, there was a lot of them here because NBA Finals wrap up, so that means we have to be doing some stats with that. So here they are. First one, shocker, like I said, coming from the NBA Finals. Andrew Wiggins is the first number one pick in the modern draft era since 1966 with his first all-star selection and first title with a team he didn't debut with. Look, Andrew Wiggins is changing his narrative for the better for his career. Next one here, Gary Payton and Gary Payton the second are the fifth father-son duo to each win an NBA championship. Gary Payton the second's teammate, Clay Thompson, and his dad, Michael, are one of the other four duos. Had to include this as I am recording on Father's Day, so... You know, thank you to all the fathers out there. We all truly appreciate everything you do. So let's move on to the next stat here. Steph Curry will average, or he did average, 30 points per game, five rebounds per game, and five assists per game in the finals for the second time in his finals career. And Curry is the fourth player to average 35-5 and five multiple times in the finals. And he's with a pretty good list here. Michael Jordan, LeBron James, and Jerry West. Look at that. Look, Mike Trout cannot stop hitting home runs, and 
The night of June 17th, he mashed his seventh multi-home run game, or it might have been the 16th, against the Mariners in his career, and he tied for the most by any active player versus any single opponent. Aaron Judge and Glaber Tours both have seven multi-home run games against the Orioles, who they have dominated. Here's one with NCAA ratings, and I'm sure we'll talk about this in the second half with the finals, but have to read this. So the 2022 NBA Finals Game 6 had 13.99 million. And listen how this stacks up to other finals here. In college, the NCAA Tournament Championship game, the final, 17 million views compared to the 13.99 NBA Finals had in Game 6. And the Duke University of North Carolina game, 17.6 million compared to the 13.99. I also saw the MLB World Series Game 6 had more listeners or viewers than the NBA Finals Game 6. So that is an interesting stat there, and that's something NBA will have to look into. We got more NBA ones. Look, it's an NBA Finals. Kind of like I was New York Yankees last week on the podcast. We have to talk about the Warriors. After winning five titles as a player, Steve Kerr wins his fourth ring as a coach. He's the seventh individual to win nine-plus championships as a player and coach this was last achieved by a legend in phil jackson one more here it's a baseball one today so today was june 15th was when this happened when i say that it was the first day in recorded history that two immaculate innings were thrown on the same day and you know what makes it even weirder i'm sure people have heard that already right but did you know it was done by the same team striking out the same three hitters. The Astros have thrown nine of the 106 recorded immaculate innings, and they are tied with the Dodgers and Yankees for most all time. Look, that's talk about trivia. You could ask who has what what team has the most immaculate innings thrown in their in, in the MLB history and look Astros, Dodgers, Yankees. I would have personally I would have guessed, you know, teams that would have been around for a while. I might have said the Reds. Right, I might have said the Cubs. But Dodgers and Yankees make sense. Look, they've had storied pitchers, and the Astros throw them in there. Even though they're a newer franchise in terms in the grand scheme of things, Houston found their themselves on the list. Let's move on here now to on this day. I'm trying to go through it as our NBA Finals one. I'm sure will be a long one here. So on this day, June twentieth, twenty twenty two is the date, and wow, we have a lot of things for this as well. The New York Giants, the baseball team, they lead the Boston Braves 14-2 in the ninth. And guess what happened? The Giants win 21-12. So, look, a lot of runs were scored is what happened. They, I, I, You know, I'm not sure how that happened, but it happened. On this day in 1913, three of the first Yankees hit by pitch en route to a record six-hit batsman in a game in 1913. On this day in 1936, Jesse Owens of the United States sets a 100-meter record at 10.2 seconds. Wow, that's impressive. On this day in 1967, the Phillies' Larry Jackson beats New York Mets for 18th straight time. So I'm going to guess as a pitcher or as a manager there on this day in 1968. Jim Hines, he becomes first person to run 100 meters in under 10 seconds. 
on this day in 1970. Orioles' Brooks Robinson gets his 2,000th hit, and he did it on a three-run home run. On this day in 1982, Pete Rose is fifth to appear in 3,000 games, and he joins Cobb, Ty Cobb, Stan Musial, Hank Aaron, and Carl Yastrzemski there. And then on this day in 1986, Jim Fergosi replaces Tony La Russa as White Sox manager on this day in 1993 NBA Finals Chicago Bulls become the first team since legendary Boston Celtics of the 60s to win three consecutive t- titles a 99-98 victory in game 6 over the f- over the Phoenix Suns Michael Jordan Finals MVP for the third straight year on this day in 2006 NBA Finals Miami Heat beat the Dallas Mavericks 95-92 in game 6 for the first title in franchise history finals mvp marquette alumni Dwayne wade there that'll wrap up on this day then and yeah we're gonna be rolling through these like i said now the brewer prediction challenge they had an interesting past week we'll keep it brief on the recap with that but look they go play the mets in a tough series in new york whatever they could have easily won you know game there are a match of that series, uh, but it happens. They lost 5-4 to four that one. They sweep Cincinnati at Cincinnati. That was just a great series. Hunter Renfro, have have yourself a series. Willie Adamas as well. Victor Caratini as well. But all, all three of those guys are were the main stories. But like I said, we're going to keep it brief on the recap, and we're going to be more looking towards what's going on in next week's slate, starting today now. So, the seven-game slate, here it is. They have a four-game series at home against the Cardinals, and then they have a three-game series at home against the Blue Jays. So that is something there. Monday's promo is $5.64 beers for the 564 wins. Tuesday and Wednesday, season seat holder days, kids and senior discount day, then on Thursday, and then they have Miller Lite beer pen on Friday, they have halfway to Christmas then on Saturday, and then on Sunday, the Corbin Burns bobblehead. That is going to be a prized possession. If you can get to the ballpark on June 26th, I would go do so. That bobblehead is going to be something else. So I just keep that in mind. Record prediction-wise, I am going 4-3. and three. I say they split the series with the Cardinals, and then I think they'll take 2 out of 3 from the Blue Jays. Look, I'm looking forward to it. I think... It looks like Burns is going to be in line for two starts this week as well. So it looks like he might be starting Monday, Saturday, Monday, Sunday. So when you're starting Corbin Burns, if he could start on his bobblehead day, ooh, that's going to be a great game to go to. So, I mean, that'll wrap it up then for the Brewer Prediction Challenge. Hopefully I can keep myself in my winning ways. It, it, it's been a tough tough stretch. It's been a tough stretch because the Brewers play bad. I usually am going over 500 with the squad because they have the matchups and they have the ability. So I got to. Plus, I got a root for my team. So that'll wrap it up here for this first half of the episode. And then now let's go and talk about the NBA Finals. Episode 67 resumes on the podcast with our guest here, Scott Pesapia of Fantasia Sports. And 
Scott, how are you doing? Where are we doing an NBA Finals recap, as the title says? But yeah, Scott, how are you doing today? I'm fantastic. I uh, just got back from Washington State, visiting my dad for Father's Day, had some pizza for lunch, probably going to have some leftover pizza for dinner. So I'm happy camper. Don't blame you. And um, look, NBA Finals come and gone already. Six games. Game seven would have been on Father's Day. But, you know, it didn't happen. And Scott was able to go get some pizza. So, uh, uh, yeah, I mean, we, that's what we're here to talk about, the NBA Finals. And, I mean, starting before we talk about what happened in those finals, Scott, who did you have going into the finals? Yeah, so I was rooting for Boston. And I have a few ties to the Boston team, and that's why I was rooting for them. But deep down, if I had to bet money, I told all my friends this, I'm rooting for Boston, but I think Golden State's going to win it. So it kind of played out, unfortunately, as I uh, predicted. Um, who do you have? So um, looking at it for the, when the finals, cause I, I thought it was going to be a Buck suns rematch, you know, okay. before before this started. And I thought the Suns were going to win. Look at that Suns team. Phenomenal. I thought they, you know, top and bottom but now with the Warriors and Celtics I don't know what I thought coming into it because I was like okay well the Bucks Bucks lost the Celtics so I'd rather and me being a Bucks fan I'd rather have the Celtics win if that makes sense because Mm -hmm. having the team that beat you you know it it just feels better I I personally I thought the Warriors you know might might have the edge just with experience right you know I, I think certainly we'll see Tatum and Brown in our finals and I think they'll win them but I think you know, this they they just got with the experience that that Golden State starting five has. That's kind of just what what put it over the top, in my opinion. So I, right. I had Warriors as well, but I I think uh, I think the Warriors, as weird as this sounds, you know, having already won three rings, I think they had a chip on their shoulder, and um, you could kind of tell. I mean, Clay coming back from injury, um, but was fired up about some of the you know the stuff that was being said about the Warriors around the league, um, especially from. I think he pointed out some of the players from Memphis um, talking smash on Twitter and whatnot. And Draymond, the same thing. Steph was being kind of chippy and was calling back some some things that were said from the past year. And so I think all three of those guys kind of played this year like they had a chip on their shoulder and it showed. I think especially with Steph and his his legacy, right? Um, the big thing with him was not having a finals MVP before the series. And that's something which, you know, he... he Look, he's successful no matter what, regardless of an NBA Finals MVP. But still, his legacy—you know—when when he's getting compared to other guys, you know, in the NBA seventy-five or like where they rank him, right? Uh, the big thing was, you know, he didn't have a Finals MVP. He didn't he didn't you know, perform well in their MBA, previous NBA Finals, or he didn't perform up to Steph Curry standards. And in this Finals, um, he, I mean, that's that's what he did. He performed. He he tied his postseason or his, his NBA finals record for most three pointers in a series. You know, he, he showed up regardless. I know there's a tough game in there, but look, Steph Curry still, you know, solidified his NBA finals legacy now too. So I, I think that was the big thing with his shoulder, but yeah, you mentioned, you know, Draymond and clay and those guys, right. Jordan Poole still has stuff to prove, right. You know, being an emerging star, even with the, with the postseason and the regular season he had, but going into these six games, right, Scott. So, Game one, and these games were then in, yeah. So game one, then Celtics. The thing with these with these games, Scott, which I mean, to just take a, a look at the whole series. I mean, none of them were particularly close. I mean, I, I know the games were, you know, 
close to up to the end and then it might, you know, for free throws and stuff, but look, the closest were, were 10 point games. So it wasn't necessarily, we had these nail biters. So I, that's what really hurt. I think viewership wise in this NBA final Scott, I don't know what you thought about that. Yeah. I, what was the stat? I think the Warriors came back from down 10, like three or so times in the series. And um, yeah, looking at the the scores right now, I think, you know, you're looking at 16 point game, 12 point game, 19 point game. 10, 13, and 10. So again, like it didn't, it never came down to the last shot. Um, exactly like you said. And um, you know, the NBA is kind of in a unique spot right now. There's so much offensive skill on the court at one time. You know, there it's rare that you come across a team that all five guys can't shoot it from three. And so it does open the uh the floodgates up a little bit for blowouts and for games to be a little bit, you know, lopsided if one team happens to be shooting better than the other. Um, and they're shooting a lot of threes like the Warriors. Um, you're bound to have some games that are 15, you know, 20 point games. And so one way or the other, if they shoot poorly, it's probably a, you know, 15 point game, not in their favor. If they shoot well, they're looking at a, at a blowout win. So um, yeah, it's interesting. And I, I'm curious if that has to play a part. You, you mentioned that the viewership was down. I didn't see those numbers. Oh, you low, want the numbers? How, how, yeah. How low were they? All right. All right, Scott. So. The NBA Finals, um, the, well, first, the NCAA tournament um, blew them out of the water, right? I mean, with the average, the game six, the uh, viewership was 13.99 million. And the final for the NCAA tournament championship game is 17 million. And then Duke and University of North Carolina, that game was 17.6 million compared to the the peak was the 13.99. And then also, I don't have the exact number up here, but the MLB World Series game six. So with the Braves and the Astros, that game had more viewers than the NBA Finals game six. So that was something that blew because the NBA or with MLB with with Major League Baseball, a topic here on this podcast was when that when the World Series took place, viewership was down, but it was still higher than the NBA Finals. So that was something that you know, it was a little alarming considering NBA has been, you know, a sport that's kind of taken a lot of viewers too. And they've been, I mean, they've all in the last 20 years, right. They've been ahead of baseball. So that's been an alarming, you know, stat to look at. That, that's crazy. I wonder if when MLB playoffs were in full swing, if we were a little bit more in lockdown from COVID. And so people were kind of staying in the house and, you know, kicking it on their couch, spending more time inside versus right now, you know, things are kind of opening up. Uh, summer's, you know, right in front of us, or we're right in the full swing of summer. I wonder if people are kind of, you know, once NBA final finals games are on, they're kind of heading out the door, going to a bar or going to a restaurant um, and not tuning in as much because I would be, sh- I, if you would have had me put a thousand dollars down on whether MLB or NBA got more viewers in game six, I would have a thousand percent put it on NBA. Oh, so that's shocking yeah. to me. Yeah. It's, and you're right. There are certainly some variables in it. Um, certainly with times when it took place, right. With baseball taking place, it was late October, early November. And then we'll look summer. It was nice outside. People mm-hmm. are out and about. There's certainly like variables like that, but uh, the viewership, it was, it was up 22% still from last year. Right. Okay. Uh, but the, if you look what last year was, it was Milwaukee and Phoenix, mm-hmm. the, the market, look at the market that it was this year. Right. So, and I was comparing and with the 2019 NBA finals was the last one that was that a lot of people thought was a fair comparison, right? With COVID 
and just overall, like the bubble was one, and then the Bucks won with two small market teams. But right. you, so in order to kind of keep the data more, you know, comparable to include Golden State and and like bigger market teams in it, basically. So, uh, yeah, Golden State it was average around 14 million viewers, like we said, and it was up from last year's Game Six. But I guess the wow. peak I didn't I did include the peak though. It was 16.8 million, and that was okay. uh, Game Six. And that was um, during the, that was like in the third quarter. So right with people, like we said, games kind of kind of got a little out of hand in some in some aspects. But looking at the games, right? You know, game one, like we said, Celtics go on a one nothing. They go up one zero, and you know, Jalen Brown was a story for me in this series. I know him being on the losing side, but there's there's a clip of him going to the finals in 2016, I believe. And, you know, he's saying it was Golden State was in it, actually. So he was it was the Cleveland series. And he was talking about how, hey, one day I'm going to be here and I'm going to be an NBA champion. And it just that was cool for me to hear that. And then plus with him putting I mean, he showed up for the Celtics. He was arguably their most consistent player throughout the series, considering Tatum had a very lackluster game one. I don't know what you saw, Scott, in this first game, but certainly a big win there for the Celtics, considering how Tatum was playing and. Jalen Brown stepping up right yeah I remember when I was watching that game the thing I was feeling was they looked poised for how young they were they looked really poised and they kind of had Golden State on the ropes you could tell like Steph and Draymond and Clay were kind of looking at each other like all right what what's our game plan here like what changes are we going to make um they it felt like the Warriors were a little bit on their heels and you know, Boston is well, actually both these teams are great defensively, but I feel like Boston is kind of nationally known as like, okay, they're they're going to hang their hat on their defense, whereas the Warriors have great defense, but they're known for their offense a little bit more. Um, and, and Boston was just roughing it up, mucking it up, making it, you know, a, a little bit of a nasty game. And I think that helped them out big time in game one. Um, and Tatum at that point looked – just very confident, very smooth. Um, he looked like he knew what he was doing and had been there before. Obviously, you need to be able to do that for seven games or however many games the series is going to last. And I think he got a bit burnt out. Um, I know, you know, having the athleticism that Golden State does, they were able to throw multiple bodies at him. And Andrew Wiggins is, you know, athletically a, a great matchup for him. Good length, good size, good speed, good agility. Um, and I think ultimately Jason Tatum got a bit worn down. Yeah. And in this game one, three for 17 shooting for Tatum, it was one of his worst postseason, you know, showcases, you know, for his career. Right. And then, yeah. That was something Al Horford was a guy, you know, who throughout this whole postseason for the Boston Celtics really stepped up and that Milwaukee series was a big story. And then in this game, he shoots six for eight from three. He puts up 26, and he was, yeah, their leading scorer. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, Jalen Brown also, like I said, putting up 24. Derek White was a guy, too, 21 points. He was – it was interesting, right? I mean, his – they acquire him at the deadline, right? And media, including, like, myself, I a very underrated move is kind of what I highlighted it as because not many people were talking about it. And throughout the postseason, there was games where he didn't get a lot of minutes, you know, if not any. And then game one of the finals gets almost 32 minutes. So that was, that was a story there. And I don't know, what did you think about Derek White's impact, like this whole postseason for the Boston Celtics? Yeah, I mean, the guys on both lineups, Boston and Golden State, uh, 
big reason why they both made it to the finals and are teams that will likely be tough outs again next year is because their role players buy into their roles. Um, and, you know, they have guys on their team that are willing to sacrifice and do the little things and fill in where needed. Um, and, you know, Derek White's a great example of that. He has an interesting backstory. I don't know if you know it, but um, came from a Division II college, um, did well there. I think he was kind of just like not scouted out of high school. Um, went D2, ended up transferring to Colorado. Um, at Colorado, had a great season or multiple seasons. I can't remember how many he played there and then ended up getting into the league. But, you know, he's a guy that's obviously had to fight for everything he's ever had in basketball from day one, you know, high school, college, and now in the league. And he doesn't look scared when he's out there. He's, you know, he comes in and he makes his guy guard him. Whereas, you know, some guys come off the bench and they're a little bit shy, a little bit timid, and you can kind of uh, almost forget about them. Derek White's not going to let you do that. And I think he does a good job of being in attack mode for them, getting to the rim and, you know, just drawing defenders and be able to kick. And he, he fills in a lot of uh, needs of the, that they have as kind of like a combo guard for them. Yeah. And that's a great story. I've not heard that before. So thank you for sharing. And yeah, I mean, the Warriors, they got to come back and after game one without that ending and look, they bounce back in game two and they go up, you know, one Oh seven, 88. They win that game. That was, that was one of them where it just, it just got out of hand. Right. I mean, in the fourth quarter, Tatum, Tatum does show up though. in this game puts up 28. The big story for me was, I mean, we talked about these like impact role players who buy into their role. Like you said, Kevon Looney is one of those guys. Like, I mean, this postseason, he had, I was reading stat because we do a segment on this, on this show called stats of the week for the first half of the episode. And he had some crazy stats on some of his double, double lines. And look, cause that was the first time he scored. It was or a double, double or something since Kai's college days or something. So look, guy, come on, Looney shows up big, you know, six for six. He goes from the field as well. Seven boards, three steals, one block. Like, I mean, these impact role players for this golden state squad, it's just what like you, I mean, you, we've said it, it's, like we're it's not like a broken record here, but that's just how it was. Like that's mm-hmm. just what to put this team over the top. And yeah, Celtics get the series tied. I mean, the Warriors get it tied here, one to one here. So Scott, what'd you think of game two here? I yeah, I mean, it, it was kind of over. It felt like middle of the third quarter, um, just after halftime. So, but but Looney's a great piece for them, like you said. I think he's he's a guy that you'd almost rather have on Golden State than maybe someone that's a bigger name more prolific as far as just named power you know like throw out like a demarcus cousins or something looney is the guy that actually is going to be the right glue for them he's going to do the dirty things he's going to rebound he's going to set big screens he's going to be able to defend and foul hard when needed um and yeah he's a he's a great fit for them though you know the juxtaposition from game one to game two is al horford turns around game two and has two points um, which is tough for Boston. Um, he had a great playoff run, so you can't knock him too much, but, you know, it is what it is. He had two points in 28 minutes, so um, that hurts from from their starting uh, four. Yeah, um, that, was, that was something, and that's the beauty of basketball, right? You know, you can go one game, score, be, be the leader for a squad, and the next one, Boom, two points. I mean, that's that's just sports sometimes, and that that just happened for Horford. 
Game three then takes place. Celtics go up. They win this game. They go up two to one. So that's kind of where we felt some momentum maybe shifting. I know ESPN was all over this with their with their basketball index. They they were favoring the Celtics the whole series even. Mm-hmm. And that was something to see. And look, they they take care of the Warriors in this game. Big story in this one was the Dray. I I always take this game. You know, I I remember moments. I this kind of felt like the Draymond Green game in a bad reason because this was, you know, one of his worst games, it seemed in, in his career in the postseason, maybe, you know, 30 plays almost 35 minutes, two points only and fouls out. So that was something there were two turnovers as well. Just not a good showing there for green. And that's kind of, I mean, that's kind of what hurt this warrior squad. I know you can't just point fingers at him. Right. I mean, there's other guys too. Wiggins Wiggins played well though. And, Look, Scott, game three, Celtics up 2-1. How are you feeling after this game? And just what were your thoughts like with Draymond Green? Yeah, I, I was feeling good because I was rooting for the Celtics. But um, when I, whenever I was seeing like those headlines from ESPN or other outlets that were saying, you know, Celtics are still the favorite here. Celtics, you know, are across the board. Every analyst was picking them. That kind of worried me. I, I kept feeling like, okay, it's 2-1, but... I don't feel safe or sound or confident. You're going up against a team that just has so much firepower and all it takes is, you know, for them to get in a rhythm once and that rhythm may never leave. Um, And I can't remember if this was the game or not, but there was a shot of Steph on the bench at one point in this series when they were down and he had a towel over his head, I believe, and was kind of just like smirking and everyone kind of grabbed that shot and put it online as a meme and was basically saying like, this is the moment we're going to look back on when Steph got pissed and took over the series. And if it was this game, I I believe it was, um, you know, he did just that. He took over the rest of the series and um, really just, you know, carried the Warriors back from down two one to their fourth title. I think it was, I think you are. Do you know what I'm talking about? That, that picture that was kind of going around with him looking down. The- and he was kind of smirking, almost like he had that evil smile look. And um, I believe, was this the game that that the Boston fans were being pretty unruly and chant some stuff? Yep, at, yep. At this was the game. This okay. was, that's that's why the Draymond Green game, because game three and four at the Garden. So game four, you can also include in that as well. But uh, yeah, I think it was. They poked the bear a little bit there. They They did, yeah. And that's. I mean, that, that's how it's been. I, I know when in the Bucks series there too, playing playing four games in Boston. That's just that's just how it is, right? I mean, those fans are very passionate about their team and they will do whatever it takes and they'll try to try to make an impact in the game as much as they can. And that's how they are. And look, game four then takes place and yeah, another another ten point win here. 107 97. The big story of this game was Steph Curry, right? 43 points goes off. And with that game, you know, he that's this is why I think, you know, NBA or the finals MVP was easily. I mean, Curry was not an easy choice. And I think, I think this was a big game, right? You know, if you lose this game, you're down 3 1. We know the story 3 1, hard to come back, you know, we, mm-hmm. right? And what happens is Steph Curry, he puts up 43, 14 for 26 from the field, 7 for 14 from three. 10 boards, four assists. He puts up a monstrous game four stat line. He keeps his team in it and he keeps his team, you know, 
not three one, but now two two. So I think that's just a big swing there. He woke him up. Um, or, or excuse me, Boston woke him up. I think the the game before, you know, him them getting blown out, them talking smack from the crowd, um, him on the bench kind of soaking in the loss. And, you know, you could almost like see him looking into the future and and picturing game four and he came out ready to play and imagine how fun it would be to play with Steph Curry. The guy's running around, jacking up threes from half court, um, you know, smallest guy on the, on the court, or at least seems to be, and is able to do everything. Um, and if you're clay or Wiggins or Jordan pool, I mean, it just opens up the world for you. You're able to go against second, third, fourth defenders. He's, you know, Steph's drawing multiple every time he has the ball in his hand and, um it'd be hard to not have a leader like Steph who plays with so much joy plays so fast plays so like energetic and not have that be contagious and you could tell you know his teammates were on the same vibe once they saw him get going yeah you know Steph Steph Curry just has has a way with this Warriors squad and yeah Clay Thompson a guy who we haven't talked a lot yet so far I mean, he was second lead scorer in this game. And like, I mean, you talked the chip on his shoulder with him too, coming back from injuries, right? He went seven for 17 from the field, four for 10 from three. You know, Clay, Clay Thompson was just, it felt like he was all reliable, right? I mean, they need a shot. Clay Thompson gets it. And that's kind of who he is. That's how he's been in his career. And just a solid, I mean, solid perimeter defender as well. Just a guy who's steep coach Steve Kerr is just, you got to love to have as well. And perfect, you know, perfect compliment to Curry. And it just helped this Warriors squad even this game up here. And then we have to go to game five then. And that also, right, Celtics win they win one, two games and they won no more. So game five, then boom, another 10 point win, 104 94. The Warriors take the commanding, the three to two lead here. And yeah, Al Horford again, nine points only. That was that's the story here. I mean Minus 19, two for the plus minus. Uh, you know, Horford kind of felt like that guy when he played well, the Celtics played well. And when he might have had a tough game, tough stretch, you know, you could see it with the Celtics team. And then plus guys like Gary Payton, the second, you know, coming up big game, 15 points in this game. That was, that was a story there too. And just an overall balanced store, scoring attack is kind of what put the Celtics away in this game with Wiggins, 26, Clay with 21. Curry with 16. We'll, we'll get back to his performance. And then Gary Payton, the second with 15 and pool with 14. So Scott, you know, this game was, uh, was not the ordinary for Steph and just for the overall scoring attack here for this, for the Warriors. So what, what were you thinking in this game? I, I thought this was kind of like an outlier in the series based on player performance. Yeah. Uh, this was a game that, you know, I think early on in the series, Wiggins wasn't getting mentioned much. Um, then middle of the series, they started talking about him a little bit here and there as a nice little side weapon for them offensively, also some length defensively. And, the, and then being able to lead the Warriors in scoring in this game, um, the narrative of Andrew Wiggins has been shifting. You know, it went from he was kind of a bust, you know, not a bust, but like people were saying, you know, he was not the greatest number one pick of all time or, you know, not not even a great one. I think Cleveland ended up trading him for Kevin Love as soon as they drafted him. He goes to Minnesota, um, doesn't really live up to hype. 
now he fits in with this Warriors team in a really great way. One, he doesn't have the pressure on him. He doesn't have to be the man. He doesn't have to be the second man. He doesn't have to be the third man. He's basically the fourth man behind Draymond. Um, and so he gets to just like have fun again, play free, play athletic. And he does a lot of things for him. He rebounds well. He's able to uh, knock down some mid-range jumpers, get to the rim, um, and add some length for them defensively. And I think he's a huge pickup. And uh, I think the Warriors kind of knew that they had that. They just needed to see him and how he would gel once Clay came back. Um, and if you look at Clay, I think Clay came back with a vengeance. Like, I think he's sick of the narrative of the Warriors um, are beyond their prime. I think he's sick of the narrative of that they can only do it with KD. Um, you know, I think he's sick of the narrative that he wasn't going to come back as a good player. He seemed to be really passionate this series and almost a little bit angry. Um, and he played like he had something to prove. And he definitely did that in this game, 21 points in 40 minutes. Um, you know, when he's knocking out shots, he looks healthy. Yeah. And um, also to you know, piggyback off the narrative thing, right? He wasn't named all NBA or the NBA top 75, NBA 75. He didn't make the list. And that was, you know, a big controversy throughout the year. And, uh, you know, that was something certainly was on his shoulders throughout this series. But, yeah, I mean, with Steph Curry, too, we got to talk about, right? I mean, this was a game where it almost, because he was the lock for NBA Finals MVP, you know, after game. You know, it seemed still, but after this game five, I mean, there's certainly some questions, right? Puts up the a stinker with 0 for 9 from 3, 16 points. I know there is, you know, people are pushing for a Wiggins almost after this game. If Wiggins had a game, big game six, and Curry might have not, like, it, it was possible Andrew Wiggins could have been your NBA Finals MVP just because of his consistency throughout the series. I still think, you know, Curry might have still gotten it just based on his name and his performance. But we saw, like, Andre Iguodala got it before in 2015. Uh, I am I was fine with Curry, you know, after game six, which we'll talk about. So let's roll with that, and then I'm going to talk to you about NBA Finals MVP stuff after we yeah. talk about game six. So yes. Game six here. Go ahead. Sorry. Uh, I, was, I was just going to say, I think, you know, a big thing for Curry when in the finals MVP is just how much is on his plate versus a guy like Wiggins. Um, he's just got to carry so much of the load and so much attention is on him that his, you know, good games, I think, are much more valuable than a guy like Wiggins if he has a good game. So my vote would be for Steph, and I think it was, you know, for sure warranted. Um, and it's because he's drawing so much attention, has so much pressure on him, and yeah. he's still able to perform, you know, most of the nights. After game six, too, I mean, it has to be Steph, like, unanimous, unanimously, right? Game six, Warriors, they hold off the Celtics. You know, they, they try to make a little comeback in the fourth at the Garden, but 103-90 was the final. Warriors are your NBA champions. But Andrew Wiggins plays 43, almost 44 minutes. Puts up 18 points, 7 for 18 from the field. He had a big game in this too, but like you said, Curry's drawing all this attention. Steph Curry puts up 34 points, 7 rebounds, 7 assists. And he shot, you know, he shot 57% from the field and 6 for 11 from three. So, you know, talk about winning basketball, winning numbers there. Playing well for this squad. Jordan Poole puts up. 15 and then got included, like I said, Wiggins 18. And that was 12 and 12 then from Green and Thompson. 
So getting Draymond Green in the scoring book here was nice. But yeah, Tatum here again, like you mentioned, he kind of seemed gassed throughout the series. Game six was kind of one plays over 40 minutes, six for 18 from the field, 13 points, not a great showing. Al Horford then shows up still for the squad, 19 points. Jalen Brown, though, a guy who I mentioned who, you know, played arguably Mr. Consistent for the Celtics squad, 34 points led the way for them. And yeah, overall, Scott, in this game, what what were your takeaways in this game six? One thing that I really took away from this game is just how emotional Steph got at the end. I mean, a guy that's won three championships already, you would think maybe a little bit that winning his fourth would be kind of like a been there, done that type vibe. And it totally wasn't. He was crying at the end of the game, very emotional, you know, was crying throughout much of the celebration there right after the game. And um, I just love that. You know, it's cool to see that much passion come from a guy that dedicates so much of his life to the sport that he loves. And I think, you know, a big part of this is that he had to prove that he could do it again you know, on his own, quote unquote. And so um, I think he was hearing a lot of whispers that, you know, he didn't have the legacy necessarily because Kevin Durant was able to carry these warrior teams, quote unquote, to two titles. And so I think being able to win it on his own with, you know, the guys that he came in with, Clay and Draymond, um, brought some tears to his eyes. And it was cool to see that and see, you know, see all these guys that kind of have, cool different backstories um be able to win another one um and and really you know cement themselves as a dynasty yeah and that's what we saw here in this game six i think you know going through like you said it it was a special one because they go from worst back to first in a span of two years right i mean if you look pandemic shortened season they lost 50 games in a shortened season and you know people were wondering where they go from here right you know clay was on the shelf with an injury, Green was hurt. Curry had broke his, well, he broke his, he broke his hand, I think. So that was the story. Kevin Durant was gone, and um, look what happened. They come back, you know. And you thought like they got guys like James Wiseman. You thought like if you had told me they would have made one at all two years later, I thought Wiseman would have stepped up. I thought there would have been other guys, right? But that wasn't the case. I mean, Jordan Poole's emergence was the story. And then of course, guys like Kevon Looney stepping up those role players really, I think were what put them over the top with Wiggins as well. Got to include him in, but yeah, Steph Curry finals MVP. We both agree on that, but any other thoughts here from this game in the series? Yeah. I mean, you know, it kind of turned out how I thought I, I'm in Portland, Oregon, and I'm a big Blazers fan. And um, I have a friend that was very nice and invited me to, go watch the Warriors and Blazers this year. And I got to sit very close, a few rows back from the court. And I knew when I was watching them that night, I went early to go watch Steph and Clay warm up. I want, you know, as a basketball coach and former basketball player, I wanted to see these guys up close and personal, just kind of see how they work. Um, And there was a few things I took away from that game that I was like, okay, these guys might be the champions this year. One is people showed up an hour early to watch golden state warm up um and there was way more fans in the arena that night that were golden state fans than portland fans and i might be off a little bit but it was pretty darn close second thing is they've played a speed that i hadn't seen um any other team play with 
this year. Um, they, they were, they looked like they were just a notch or two quicker than everyone else. Um, and the third thing is they had a good mix of speed, agility, shooting, but also some toughness. You know, I liked Looney. I liked Kaminga. Um, I thought those guys really were good pieces for them. Um, and so I would say, you know, the, the thing I'm most intrigued about from watching this series is what are they going to do next? What is Boston going to do next year? What is Golden State going to do next year? What pieces do, do they need to add? Um, you know, what do they need to be thinking about as draft time comes up? Those are the, the questions that I'm kind of interested in now. Yeah, and let's talk about what's next here for these squads. So, I mean, you might have guessed that, right? NBA championship futures are already out because that's just how it is. That's how Vegas operates. The Warriors are already your favorites, plus 460. And then the Celtics are second, plus 650. So does that does that surprise you there? I mean, having Warriors and Celtics one and two. Personally, I'm not I I am not surprised that the Celtics are back up there and not surprised that the Warriors are either. No, I'm not surprised that they're one and two. Um, but I would say that three and four are nipping on their heels. I wouldn't say they're like a clear cut. Like yeah. one and two. I would say the Bucks are right there. Yes. You know, Suns will be right there. Heat will be right there. Um, and there's always a few players like Memphis will probably be in the mix. I got them for player- you. Yeah. So, let's hear them. so yep. it goes Warriors, Celtics, Nets at three. And then Nets, Nets at three plus 700. Bucks at four plus 750. I, I personally, not, not no bias intended here. I, I would have Bucks at three because I mean, the Bucks have Chris Middleton. I know if it's it's in you know if and but I think the Bucks, you know, if they had Middleton, like they could have been, who knows where? I mean, they could have they could easily been back. So, Clippers are at five, plus eight fifty. Suns are sixth, plus nine fifty. Heat then then here's the big the big cutoff. So it goes from nine fifty to plus fifteen hundred from Suns to Heat. So. That's something wow. 76ers plus 1600 and Nuggets plus 1700. And Grizzlies and Mavericks are tied for plus 1900. And Lakers plus 2600. And then the big cuts, big cutoffs. So, what do you think about that? I think it's oh, a little man. interesting. I, the ones that stood out to me is one, I, I'm a little bit of a hater, but I just do not have faith in the Nets. I just think that the bucks just have that like that that sauce that a team needs the chemistry the toughness the the team leader the you know the star being bought in i don't see that from kd and kyrie um no man i i don't know if i had to bet money i would bet money on the bucks being ahead of the nets and it wouldn't even be close um i also i don't know if i buy into the clippers what how high were they 6th the clippers are 5th they are right yeah, behind the Bucks. I, I'm not. I don't buy that. Yeah, and I, I'm guessing right. I mean, speculation, right? Kawhi, like they, they're predicting a healthy Clippers squad, and they're, you know, I, I can see them, of course, in this mix. But ahead of the Suns, I guess, are they thinking the Suns? It was just this this two year kind of stretch. I'm not sure what I see from this because I mean, the Suns are coming off, so they won the NBA or they not they made it to the NBA Finals. They lose in six games. They're two games away from winning it all, right? They have one of the most impressive regular seasons in NBA history. And then I know they come up in the, in the playoffs and they come up short, but taking that all into account, I still think, you know, they should be higher maybe than the sixth best odds, but that might be just me. 
It's so early. So, it's, I mean, it's really yeah. hard to tell. Way, it's the way too early futures. And drafts and all that. But, you know, name of the game, the early talk. So, um, I, I wouldn't even be surprised if, like, the Lakers are better than the Clippers. And, and I don't buy into the Lakers at all. Like, I think they're kind of all over the place with what they're doing. But maybe bringing in Darvin Ham is a good move to – bring up their defense, make them tougher. You know, is, is that a Milwaukee guy? Yeah. Yeah. Bucks. I uh, was Boonholzer's top, top assistant guy. Yeah. He's easy. Lakers got to go to one. So. Well, that's they, good. I, you know, that's what they needed is they need someone to come in and kind of direct traffic and actually make some big decisions and, and kind of get them to do what he says. Um, the thing I'm worried about is LeBron is basically their GM and I don't think he's a good general manager i think he's a great basketball player but you know they like last year they i'm guessing under lebron's guidance get westbrook when they were in talks with buddy healed um and buddy would have been a great move for them and you know no offense to westbrook but westbrook just is not a good fit that with those was guys. atrocious and, and so yeah I, i'm curious to see what moves the lakers make i'm curious to see you know cp3 at some point is going to get old and is going to look old and is going to play old. And so I'm curious, you know, if this upcoming year is maybe that year. Um, the Clippers will obviously be good if Kawhi and Paul George are both there, but I'm also not a big believer in Paul George as far as being like a leader and a winner goes. Um, I, obviously Kawhi has proven himself, so you can't say that about him, but uh, I don't know. I have a lot of question question marks about those those teams, the Clippers, um, the Lakers. I'm curious about where were they at on the list? Lakers? Yeah. So Lakers are plus 2,600. They are behind the Mavericks, Grizzlies, Nuggets, 76ers, Heat. Okay. So that makes sense, though. I mean, you know, everyone's hurt. AD's been hurt. You know, yeah. even LeBron had a little stint of being hurt. So, um, but basically what I'm saying is, like, the king of L.A., I don't know if it's the Clippers right now. You know, I think the Clippers and the Lakers are both big question marks, and I'd be curious to see which stars show up from those those two teams. Yeah. So if you had to give me a way too early NBA finals, you know, just, just the matchup, I'm not going to ask for a winner. You know, where would you go with this? I'll share one too. Let's hear yours. Okay. I'll, I'll go a little bit fun and a little bit off, off the rails, a, a smidge. I'll go nuggets versus the bucks. Okay. Nuggets I'm, versus the bucks. I like it. I'm going bucks Mavericks. Is where I'll okay. go. You know, so, I, I love the Christian Wood acquisition. I think that I just think you know, Luca. They come up. They come up short this year, and I, I don't know. I, I think Luca's due to make a finals appearance. I don't know if it's going to be next year, but I know he'll make one. What were you going to say? Well, I'm curious. Um, so, so you're kind of buying in that Luca can kind of just carry them all the way there. Do you do you buy into the rest of the roster? I buy into. You know, I I did not before the Christian one acquisition, if that makes sense, because yeah. right. I mean, you can't ask for Luca and then have guys like Dorian Finney Smith and Reggie Bullock being your other guys with, but I'm buying it. I buy into Jalen Brunson. Look what he's done. If they can keep him right. That's going to be the story. Keep Brunson with, along with Luca and, you know, have guy Christian Wood. If Christian Wood can stay on the, stay healthy and perform at the level he's performed at, I think why not? Yeah, no, I hear you. And Brunson is a great player. Christian Woods, good pickup. Um, that's kind of the reason why I was thinking the Nuggets might have a little run in them is obviously they Murray. got Joker, but you're bringing back 
Michael Porter Jr. I would imagine is going to be healthy and um, ready to play. And to me, he's he's kind of the piece that if he decides to show up and stay healthy and and ball out, they're going to be very very tough. I got to watch him in high school. I'm from Washington State. And uh, he transferred into a school in Washington State called Nathan Hale, which is known as like a very terrible basketball program within the metro area of Seattle. Um, and he came in with his brother. And, you know, of course, he's a lottery pick. And he, I think at that point, he was the number one player in the nation. Um, they come in, they go 35-0, and 0, win the national championship at this high school. And he's the best player I've ever seen in high school. Um, Kevin Love used to be that person, but he passed him in my eyes as far as just high school play. And I say all that to say that they have a very talented piece in Michael Porter. And so if they're able to bring back a guy with that much talent, and if he's able to stay healthy and able to, you know, play his role, which is you're not the man anymore, you're playing off Joker. But if he's able to be a guy that's like teetering towards an all-star, if that's the case, then I think the Nuggets um, could be really, really darn tough. No, I, I've always been buying in on Michael Porter. I just hope, right, it's his back. His back's been the yeah. problem for his career so far. And I think they got it held together with, like, I, a Band-Aid. Yeah, and, well, the, the whole story was, you know, that they, they kept him, like, they kept him out for a couple games, see if it was better, because they're trying to avoid the season-ending. Like, they, they were basically avoiding the, the inevitable, right? Mm-hmm. And now, I mean, they finally went, went about it, and they got him the season ending surgery. Hopefully this is the one that does it, you know, keeps them together. Right. Cause like you said, I mean, the Denver nuggets are better basketball team when Michael Porter jr. Is on the floor for them. Right. So, right. Can I, I, can I, I switch gears on you and ask you a question? Let's hear it. Okay. Think in draft upcoming draft. Yep. Remove the teams and their needs. Just think like you're starting a franchise. Who do you go? Number one pick. Okay. And I'll, I'll give you some time. The the three names that are everyone's talking about is Jabari Smith from yep. Auburn, Paulo Benchero from Duke, and Chet Holmgren from Gonzaga. Those are like the three big names. If you were just starting a franchise and it wasn't Orlando, so you're not thinking about their team needs right yep. now, who are you selecting? I am going – Oh, see, Chet worries me. He worries me. And I really – you know, he's my favorite prospect in the draft. But I am going oh, – see, if I'm number one overall, I still – I'm either going Paolo or Chet, I think. Nothing against Jabari Smith's game. It's just I think I'd go with other, one of those guys. Another guy who I like, though, Jay, Jay Nivey out of Purdue. Right. He's, like, one of my favorites. So I might even I might even just say him, too. Right. I, that, I mean, that wouldn't even be dumb. If you think about the stars of our game right now, obviously there are some guys that are big. KD's big. LeBron's big. Joker's big, but a lot of the stars are Steph, you know, there's um, Kyrie, there's Damian Lillard. There's a bunch of guys that are six three, six four, Um, And I think we get a little bit caught up once the draft comes around of like, oh man, this guy's 6'9", 6'10", 6'11", 7 feet. When in reality, like a lot of those guys that are 6'9", to 7'1", are just playing a role on a team. And a lot of times the guy that is averaging the most and is you know, counted on to carry the team offensively is a guy like Jay Nivey, who's a six, four guard. So I don't, I don't think that's a dumb pick at all. Um, I think if I had the number one pick, I'd probably go Paulo. Although I can I like see that. a case for all three. Um, Paulo to me just looks maybe the most NBA ready. Um, his body's crazy. 
um, you know, 6'10", 250 pounds, great footwork, comes from, you know, the Seattle area where he's playing with, you know, Seattle pros day in and day out in the summer every year since he was probably like a freshman in high school. So um, I don't think he's going to be scared of the moment, but I am curious about Chet. I think Chet is like one of those people that everyone is ready to see and have their eye on, you know, he's seven feet and they haven't listed 195 pounds, but um, I think that's the big question mark is like, can he hang physically? And is he able to, you know, defend a guy that's six eleven and two sixty? Yeah. I mean, those are the concerns I have too with, with a guy like Chet Holmgren and I look, and if he can develop his frame, right. I, I think that's going to be the story, right. Add some weight to what he has going. Cause I mean, in college he was able to handle, but again, that was college. Look, Luca Garza was the top player in college, you know, a year before and his first year in the NBA, it was, it wasn't great. I mean, and it's nothing against Luca Garza. It's just, that's just how it, how it was. If you're the best, I mean, if, if you're the best player in college, you're not necessarily going to be the best player in the NBA level. And I'm afraid to say, you know, cause Chet certainly is not Luca Garza in aspects, but I just am afraid Chet might take that same path, you know, as Luca Garza. So I don't know, Scott, I think this NBA draft though is going to be a fun one. For sure. I think Chet's got to be so sick of hearing about his weight at this point. Uh, he's probably been yeah. asked about his weight and just being able to handle his size like a million times by now. So he's probably smashing a protein shake as we speak. But, um, you know, I think Chet's going to be an interesting one. Like, is he going to be a guy that plays like Chris Stapps where he's, in a lot of pick and pop situations and is doing a lot of stuff outside maybe and just maybe a rim protector defensively but uh, the the people I have my eyes on and of course being a Portland guy and you know big Blazer fan they have the pick at seven so I'm really curious what they do there yeah it depends of course who falls there but we'll leave the NBA draft stuff you know for our NBA draft preview here on this podcast so we're going to wrap it up here, Scott. Uh, do you want to shout yourself out? You know, where can people find, you know, what you're part of the group you are with? Yeah, for sure. So I'm, uh, I'm on the marketing team here at Fantasia Sports. And Fantasia Sports is uh, the first fantasy sports app on the blockchain. Um, and we're getting ready to launch our first season of season-long fantasy football. Cannot be more excited. I'm going to join like 100 leagues. Um, we have free and paid leagues and we have a bunch of killer features and benefits. I think we have the best season long fantasy football platform out there. Um, you know, I could rant on and on about all of our different features. One of the big ones and the one that I really like being a penny pincher myself is we have zero platform fees. And I think that's, um, you know, something that as a team that we're really excited about. So um check us out fantasia.app fantasia.app p-h-a-n-t-a-s-i-a dot a-p-p so check us out go join the wait list go join our fantasia leagues and holla at me we will be taking fantasia on this episode when i air it and also you know, you'll hear more about these leagues and stuff. I'll be joining them. I'm on the wait list already, right? So, and I assure you, you will hear more about this as on Wednesday, I'll be releasing a special announcement on the Instagram with Fantasia Sports. I'm really looking forward to this. And I know Scott is as well. Yeah, that'll wrap it up here for our socials here on the podcast. 
Instagram, Drew Sports Crew. That's also our Twitter as well, Facebook and YouTube, Drew's Sports Crew then. So, yeah, that'll wrap it up here for myself, Drew Skyberg, signing off. So thank you all for listening to another episode of Drew's Sports Crew, the perfect podcast for you.